Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their 0 to 30,000 MRR journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.fm. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us, we'll give you the first 30 days no risk, and we guarantee being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at OneStop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, we have Ai Ching Go, co-founder of PictoChart and PictoStory. PictoChart is a visual communication tool that makes it easy to condense and consume information. And PictoStory is a video content creation tool based on transcript editing. Today, we will talk to Ching about how the idea for these two products came about, how the MVP was funded, whether she hit her early business model predictions, and how she gained attraction to where she is now, at a seven figures ARR uh, for PictoChart and PictoStory is just getting going using the same formula. How are you today, Ching? Really good. good. Thanks for having me. Great. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. So I gave a quick intro, obviously. Why don't you, why don't you give your own version and specifically um, tell me what problem these two products solve for your customers? Absolutely. So PictoChart has been known mostly and primarily as an infographic maker. Um, and then we realized that when people come to create infographics, whether it's for you know, a, a finance person who's looking to present their financial results or um, a HR and learning and development specialist who's looking to promote their project and the results of that. And we realized that all these people had one thing in common, which was that they had a story or some information that they needed to you know, uh, bring across in a visual manner. And that was since when we started you know, going on business storytelling and positioning ourselves uh, that way. As for Picto Story, we're more of a, how would I put it, it's like a, a coincidental, it, it was all coincidental. We, we've we launched very much uh, earlier this year. What happened was that as a company, we came uh, and, and we've been around for like 10 years, back then around like eight years when we came up with the idea. And we saw that storytelling was only going to become more and more popular. And we tried to think about, well, what's the most effective like media? So infographics was one, you know, and then you would have like posters, presentations and all that kind of stuff. But what was something else? So we were actually making, trying to make a decision between two things, um, two mediums. And one of it was actually the whole no code, you know, so immersive, like, you know, web experiences likened to probably something like Webflow, or we could have gone for something like video. And we decided for video because we felt that was more portable. And the other thing was that if we wanted to carry and transmit stories, we felt that video was going to be an excellent medium and it's going to just continue growing. So we made that decision prior to the pandemic. So yeah, when you know uh, when, when that happened, a lot of people thought that it was opportunistic as in we saw the opportunity within the pandemic, but that wasn't the case. It was more that we kind of examined ourselves and thought about what was going to be the new storytelling medium that was going to pick up and businesses were going to need that and, you know, kind of really, really want to use that. So today we, we're trying to 
consolidate a couple of video um, editor tools that are present in the world today. And, and the video editor market is saturated. I mean, it's full of tools. But the, the key is that when we speak with users who are not sophisticated, not using you know, Camtasia, Adobe to kind of do all of the editing, um, we realize that what they need is a couple of features, but there are probably three to four or five, maybe even um, video editors that they need to use in order to you know, just complete one use case. And that's why we're trying to build this, hoping that you know, together with our expertise, all the things that we're building on PictoChart, we'll also be able to put that together so that uh, we do not just visual storytelling, but on the other hand, kind of, you know, helping our users to also build like their stories in, in a video format. That's quite a lot of information. So let me just sort of try and uh, dive into some of that. Um, so as it's, it sounds, you started PictoChart and that you just dis you discovered this other problem that people were having. Is it a similar problem with with the video editing with the picto story? Is it like for example, why wouldn't you bring this inside of picto chart and just uh, have that as a module inside of in, inside of picto chart? Yeah. So video editing is very separate. I mean, like it's it's a totally and a brand new world like to figure out. You know, it's timeline based and yeah, a, a couple more things. Well. There are so many dimensions that you have to like take into account, not just the visuals, uh, the time, but also the audio. And like, there's, there's just a lot more moving parts. Um, I see that uh, it, that way on video. Not to say that I think one day the two products will merge under you know one dashboard. Right now, we kept them separate just to facilitate development and to keep you know both like relatively independent and we don't have to think too much about making sure that they're entirely compatible. But in the future, we will, and we are planning to put them together. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So you have essentially you've created this. Uh, what's the structure of the company? Is this um, it's a separate company or is it in, in part of the same, uh, you know, umbrella company? How, how is it? Uh, did you start it with your same co-founders as as PictoChart? Yeah, that's right. So in terms of structure, it's identical. In fact, we've just structured it as a separate product within the company. We considered going with two separate companies, but again, we're only 40 plus people. We don't want to have like massive, you know, overheads. Um, admin and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, admin and it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And then separate taxes. Yeah. I'm curious, is it is it a Malaysian company? That's right. We're incorporated in Malaysia. Yes. Okay. And how is setting up there? Is there is there tax benefits for setting up there? A very great benefit. Every time I share this, people don't believe us. We actually have a tax break for ten years on VictorChart, so we're just about to like expire our ten year like tax break. So that that's amazing. I think to yeah. So Malaysia. so that was an incentive. The Malaysian government said, "Set up here, we'll give you a tax break for ten years." And then what what happens uh, to the tax rates? Then you go back to, you know, paying uh, taxes, which we don't mind. And what What are the rates? What are the rates? Just curious. 37%. So it's depending on which like country we're talking about. Uh, but I don't consider it excessive compared to, you know, what we would pay in, say, Europe. But at the same time, our neighboring country, Singapore, like we probably could find incentives to get it that rate down to about 10 to 15%. So again, just a better comparison. Right. So pick the story then. If your tax breaks are going to run out, they will. It will still be part of the picto chart structure. So you wouldn't get that 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 ten year tax yeah. break. Is that correct? Okay. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. 
So the other thing you mentioned was with PictoStory, there's three or four different tools that, that they would have to use. Can you further explain that? Because uh, I'm trying to think here. You were saying that you wanted it to be simple, but why is there three or four different tools that they would need to use to, to develop whatever the final product is that they're trying to get to? Yeah, no, that, that's precisely the problem that we're trying to solve, that without PictoStory, they would need to go to three to four different tools to get their job done. So like just to give a couple of examples to, you know, remove filler words, they may use something like Descript, uh, remove all the arms and, you know, like, uh, and, and all that to erase that. And also uh, perhaps to further optimize, you know, the, how do you call it? Like all of the, not just the filler words, but yeah, the silences and to handle all, all of those kind of stuff. So there's the audio um, side of things that they may choose to use something like um, Descript. And then you also have like the effects, like the ability to just repurpose that and put that in, you know, different on different social media. And a another set of tools then would be called into, you know, question to try to um, achieve that. They may choose to use something else for captioning as well. So not all of the video editing tools has the ability to auto like, you know, switch on like captions and uh, subtitles, which is becoming more and more important, especially for social media uh, type of videos. And you also have the other type, which is then about templates, adding on effects and, you know, stickers and all that kind of stuff. So that, like I said, it's really about like three to four, maybe even five um, different tools that they would use to just come up with one. And uh, did I mention like timeline, you know, clipping, trimming, and just, yeah, like doing all of that editing, like, and then that's all like uh, in a day of a, you know, a video editor's work. So no wonder they get paid so well <laughs> or you know the wonder is spend so much time like trying to edit a video so we're trying to solve that by making sure that we keep the entire process really simple so we're not not trying to replace or you know compete with like the adobe's or the Camtasia's of the world because that that really isn't our market we're not for the professional video content creators we're for the people who are like you're, you you know you've made a webinar or you're a podcaster and you you're just trying to take that video and put it on another social media for channel and make that super simple without going through the whole shebang of <laughs> of all um, the different yeah. Okay, that 100% clear. So thank you for clarifying that. So it sounds, uh, you mentioned podcasters and social media managers. Those those are your primary um, users then. Someone that wants to come in and create like a, they do a podcast, say like me and we're on video and they want to do say like a short two minute version of it, or maybe they want to edit um, a webinar or something. That's, that's your market, eh? That's correct. We have a lot of coaches and consultants, entrepreneurs as well. Like they're, you know, they're, they're people who they regularly do Zoom calls or, you know, webinars mm -hmm. and are podcasters who do videos and then they want to get that. You know, so instead of a one hour webinar, which by the way, like it's really difficult to get people to watch on social media and one hour thing, they would instead slice that up into, I don't know, five, 10 uh, small little yeah. clips, give it a title, you know, with like a huge mm -hmm. banner at the top and then put that out for like one to five minutes. And that usually gets a lot of traction. So that's what we call the Gary V content model. Like a lot of people say that it, it works. Um, that's how he does it. And it yeah, we, we're trying it out ourselves. And so far, I'm like, we're seeing some pretty good uh, results as well. So you're using it, you're using your own tool to, for, for marketing purposes. That's right. That's right. So yeah. we repurpose our longer like webinars and then, you know, cut 45 minute thing, make it like 
five minutes each or three minutes each and then put them on different social media channels. We are users also, like they have been doing that. And some people have actually said that their live webinars, they may have like a hundred, you know, around a hundred uh, live attendees, but the the rewatches of those, you know, smaller clips, they, they're in the thousands um, combined together. So like that's a lot of, uh, I think, you go to like 10x your content by doing quite little, yeah. just by a bit of repurposing. Repurposing it to like taking an hour to down to five minutes or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, that's interesting. So uh, maybe we can go back to pick to chart. So I, I saw that you graduated from the University of Bristol, very good school. Uh, so you were in the UK and you went back to Malaysia. Is that, is that the sort of the flow of how you, how you got into like... Tell me about your entrepreneurial start. Let's start with that. Yeah, sure. So what started going on? You're you're totally right. So it was uh, UK. That was actually the the year I graduated was when Lehman Brothers um, crashed uh, in the UK. I was I was trying to stay on. Actually, I was looking for a job and everything. But due to the crash, I felt like I I didn't have that that good of a chance. You know, um, given that I'm a a foreigner and a foreign student there as well. So I came back home. Um, the first job that I I did because I was hanging around a lot with Isaac and they influenced my whole thinking. I studied, I took on a, a psychology major, but the friends that I was hanging out with, they were mostly in economics. So uh, I actually joined a bank in private equity, but that gave me little that I know, like private equity actually had a, a lot to do, you know, with like entrepreneurships, the, the other side of being an entrepreneur. And, but I took that internship and I was like, no, that's not, you know, it's not my cup of tea. Finance is not my thing. Then I was thinking, what could I do with all the psychology and everything that I've learned? I think I had a choice to go into organizational development. And I was actually very passionate about that or to go into marketing. And for whatever reason in me, I decided to go for marketing. I did corporate stint. It was brief. It was my first job, but I ended up so burnt out in that first year of my work that I actually had to go through a surgery and it was, most people took about two weeks to recover. I took three months and I was a bit ridden. And here I was in my early 20s thinking, oh my goodness, like, is, is this what working life is like? And I, and, and this was also before the whole time, you know, at least in Malaysia, we didn't have that many tech companies um, come up yet, of course, for you know, the valley, that was not the question. But in Malaysia, we didn't really have like places that um, emphasized a lot on like, you know, culture and people centric organizations. So then I kind of threw the idea to my husband and I was like, he's a developer. Um, he's a Ruby on Rails developer. And I, I was like, do you think we could maybe just set up shop and help, you know, consult a couple, a couple of um, companies in Malaysia, maybe to build their websites. We started out with WordPress and Magento sites. I was in charge of marketing. And there I was, you know, day in, day out, looking for sales, looking for marketing uh, uh, or how to promote our services in Malaysia. In Malaysia. In, in Malaysia. You're just focusing on Malaysian market. Okay. Yes. Yes. Malaysia and a bit of Singapore as well. So um, like what, what happened was I, I did a lot of networking and then I was reading up so much. That was the year that HubSpot, you know, came out and they coined this whole thing called inbound marketing. And, uh, and that was also like when bloggers and influencers were super popular. And back then when I was, you know, doing marketing at the corporate stint, all I was taught was literally push marketing. Like everything was pushed. It was all about buying ads on, you know, TV on like magazines or radio. Like there, there was no end to it, but there was no such thing as full marketing. So when I read- This is around what, 2010 or something? 2000, I think 2000 and yeah, 10, you're right. About 2009, yeah. 2010. And- uh -huh. 
so I I went on with the uh, with with you know with this whole thing and what what kind of transpired out of that you know looking at the whole inbound marketing was that if inbound marketing and if HubSpot is kind of right about this whole trend that you know it's all going to be about content marketing and all that then there's bound to be a huge like you know how to put that like a surface wave like together yeah together with that in a visual format because you know just text is probably not going to do it so the people who are creating all these blogs or content marketing, they probably need something visual to go together with that. Um, my husband and I, I in particular, picked infographics because I thought it was one format, very much niche to do marketing and lead generation. And that could potentially be our, like, kind of a horse to bet on and, you know, ride into this whole wave. And we were also, I was very scared doing this, to be honest, because uh, I had no experience in business and neither does my husband have any. So we were... We joined an accelerator, uh, and this was again back in 2011 to get you know some knowledge and. Which, what what accelerator was it? A Malaysian one? No, it wasn't. We didn't have an, an accelerator in Malaysia back then. Uh, we only had uh-huh. one in Singapore, but I decided to go for this one in China. Um, so it's called China Accelerator. It's a TechStar affiliate, actually. So they're uh, like the the TechStar equivalent in China. So we went mm-hmm. for that, did the program for three months, uh, came back, continue building the product. Uh, was it in English or what? What was, what was yeah. the? Um, so it was in English, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so, and how did you find? How did you find the at that time? Because that that is quite early for an accelerator. How was the? How was the experience? Yeah, I I would say like they covered the the basic you know like stuff. I kind of wish that so they picked a very outlandish <laughs> location. It's called Thalian, so it's not Shanghai, not Beijing, not Hangzhou, not. Shenzhen, you know, not any of these places, but they picked up. I felt it was a strange location to, yeah, to have an. You had to go there. Do you have to go there for three months? Yeah. Yeah. So I much preferred a place where either you know, like either there were more software engineers, um, or there were more engineers. Like not all of us were in software development. Most of us were uh, as part of the accelerator. But in general, the experience was good. I, uh, despite my heritage and background, I was still in a bit of a culture shock because I'm. I'm born and bred like Malaysian. I'm not. Uh, I'm not Chinese. So that's now all of that was very very interesting. And I think that isolation as well. That three months of extreme focus, uh, together with the rest, like we were isolated from the world <laughs> essentially. And mm-hmm. all we could do there was no partying. There was nothing to do but just you know yeah, just yeah. work on it. So it's your yeah, husband as well. He's the co-founder for yeah. this. Eh? That's yeah, right. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And so, so tell me about the product when you came out, like how fleshed out was it? Did you have users or how did, what was the status of, of, of the um, product when you came out of that accelerator? Yeah. Um, honestly, it was ugly. <laughs> I, um, I keep a memento of it. I, I think like a screenshot and we even printed it out back then when we still had an office, like we put it on the wall to remind ourselves how far we've come. <laughs> Um, and never to go back because <laughs> it was yeah, really ugly, like really yeah. ugly. And however, this was the best part. So with just a demo day, a couple of pitches and some, you know, news and media organizations covered us. We started seeing like organic traffic, like pouring into the site, literally. And, and I think that could also be because so many people were probably like, okay, there must be something else apart from Adobe at that point. And, and this I mean for Photoshop and Illustrator that the need and the demand was so big uh, that although we were so broken, we had bugs all the time. We only had like 30 templates at beta. Um, At beta, before we even opened this up for 
paying customers, there were already people who said, if you added more templates, give me more icons and images, I'm paying for this. Like we literally had people huh. who were like, I'm paying you, like just build it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah. No, that was like, uh, like I said, the early days. Today, it's totally different. Like the market landscape is so different. Yeah. Right, it's pretty much more sophisticated now, and people expect so. So this was sort of the early days of SaaS, really. And like, what was the price when you first came out with this? I think it was fourteen ninety nine, if I'm not mistaken. I think we started okay. out with nine ninety nine, and then you know we realized that no, we needed to cover more cost, and we wanted to be profitable uh -huh. without you know raising funding. So we raised it up to fourteen ninety nine, and then two years later, if I'm not mistaken, when we got much much bigger and much more fleshed out, that was when we tried out a different pricing, um, twenty nine dollars I think per month. And since then, actually, we never touch pricing until very recently we made a very big adjustment to our pricing and business model again but we didn't actually touch pricing for the longest time i think about seven years yeah really and and what's the pricing now so we're actually we're 24 dollars now per month but our annual pricing if you know split by month that's only 14 dollars so one for uh okay. yeah which is a lot more doable than yeah, than the, the previous right. one. Right, so it's like 150 a year or something like that. Yeah, 168, yeah. And so to tell, before the show, we were we were discussing, there was another podcast we did with Chris Gimmer about Snappa. It's, it sounds like a similar business model. Um, he has a $14 price point. It's also templates. It doesn't, he's mostly doing like a blog, you know, images and pictures for social media. So it's, it, it is a bit different and his content his marketing strategy was content management purely like seo can you tell me about your uh, marketing to get the product going and what has been your strategy with that low price point because i think it's probably harder to run ads but maybe you know maybe you later figured out a way to do to run ads to to that product yeah, so for us, it's pretty much the same thing. Uh, we created a lot of like infographics in the early days and partnered with uh, media companies, for example, to kind of get backlinks as well as get the word out. So if they published our infographic and it has our watermark, like all of these things are beneficial for us. We also ensured that our infographics, if they were created for free, it will always have our watermark, both in PDF downloads as well as HTML, you know, like what we call output pages. And um, so like all of these things, I think, helped us. But the main channel for us today is also SEO. That's because of the early year days of like building uh, us up. So I think we were number one for infographics for a long, long time. Until very recently this year when our competitors did multiple things to try to rob that space um, and get that space from us. Um, and, and then we did, you know, tons of like content marketing, still partnerships. Uh, and we... I think this year we made a lot more deliberate effort in making sure that we're actually optimizing um, our business model and re-looking you know, into it and uh, figuring different, different things out because we're freemium. So most of, I think, the players in this uh, segment are freemium tools, but freemium does come with certain cost of just being able to maintain. And we get like hundreds of thousands of free signups per month. So that's a lot of like, you know, like of maintenance that we need to be thinking about. So then we we had a we still have a growth VP of growth and a growth team that actually looked into those things and then kind of looked at, okay, what are some of the areas that you know we need to be like better at optimizing um, just for the sake of growth and all that. And 
and that we have begun this year. So <laughs> prior to this, it's just been a lot of investment in the product itself. And you mentioned Snapper. So Snapper is not definitely not a direct competitor. In fact, we even tell our users, if you want to create, you know, social media type of posts, like probably don't come to us because we're not, we're not, you know, we're not built for that. We're built for longer form uh, visuals. We're built for uh, infographics. We're built for people who, for example, I have three bullet points. It's really important for me to get this across. What's the best way for me to visualize that? You know, how do I get that, you know, message across? Which, then? Right. And which is something Snapper would not be good at because there's not enough space. And um, yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the difference uh, between the two. So the, the content marketing was very important. Inter um, it's interesting that you mentioned you, you got bumped off by some of your competitors. Are you working to get that back? I mean, um, do you know what they did to, to replace you on the first page? Yeah, we know. In fact, um, it's also our own mistake. So we had a website, like, you know, landing page and everything, refresh and redesign. Um, and out of it, we kind of, I think, overly focused on the keyword storytelling. Uh, instead of infographics and it was during that time but when we realized that that we dropped off you know um, during that time and tried to afterwards like revert and and you know ensure that our keywords had more infographic within it it was it was kind of too late <laughs> and so it was something like a, it was a broad it was like you changed the url or or is one of the type the main titles from infographic to keywords it's, yeah sorry, it's storytelling uh, yeah more of the h1 h1s okay h1s okay yeah yeah, yeah, a couple of like the the couple of you know SEO. There's sort of the, the URL, the title, and then the H one or the the heavy lifters, and you change one of yeah. those. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. And how did that affect? How did that affect your sort of uh, monthly new users coming in? Yeah, I mean we're still ranking, and the other thing is that like with all of the you know the algorithms, um, in July we saw a very like a, a very big change, and then we checked with a number of uh other SaaS, like, you know, friends who are not necessarily in our uh, field, but uh, everybody was kind of quoting the same thing that Google started favoring, you know, sites that were more about like knowledge. So for example, infographics itself, whoever puts in the keyword infographic, they're likely not looking for an infographic maker. They're likely looking to find out what is an infographic, you know, like um, things that Wikipedia will be able to answer. Um, so we started seeing that, you know, a couple of those really, short keywords that we used to rank for, suddenly we were like pushed down um, a little more. And the other thing was that we noticed that the kind of like advertising space or just maybe the number of competitors bidding for the same keyword has just grown. So even if you're number one on Google for that particular keyword, when, you know, as the user loads and generates the search results, they have to go through another six more websites before, which are all ads, by the way, before they get to the first uh, result. So we saw that impressions actually were the same or even went up almost, but the click-throughs kind of dropped a lot. So a couple of these things due to the search algorithm changing. So we're also learning how to adopt, you know, adapt to all of the things um, that they're introducing and just SERPs, you know, the whole uh, SERPs that are now gaining a lot of prominence as well. So like I said, even if you're number one, now on Google, you have the SERPs that are taking up your position. You have ads that are like, you have to scroll for an entire page before you get to the first search result. So there are a couple of these things that we now need to prioritize. For example, how do we rank in those, you know, SERP like drop down questions um, to, yeah, to, to try to be on a higher position rather than number one isn't even good enough now <laughs> these days. Yeah, 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 that yeah. makes, yeah, that's definitely true. So 
if we if we uh, continue on now with your 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 uh, your story between creating these two companies, when did you first realize that you wanted to um, create PictoStory? Was it was your was it your users that were looking for this, or how did you discover discover the problem for PictoStory? Yeah, for PictoStory, it wasn't. I think it was more of a company wide exercise. So we looked at. You know, we were looking at like infographics and that's our main like hero format. And then we knew that um, in terms of branding and positioning, we needed to move more and more towards storytelling because we realized that a lot of people said, oh, I come to PictoChart to create infographics. But when they're done, they actually clip that, put that into their PowerPoints or, you know, they, they publish it on social media. So then we realized it was just a means to an end, but they were really looking, you know, like more for uh, stories and things like that. So and that was when, I think this was back in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, that we kind of did an existential like exercise. Like, where do we want to be in a couple more years, you know, from now? Like, you know, if we were just all about storytelling, is that good enough? Or do we need to kind of uh, break our bets a little and not put everything into this like one, you know, storytelling thing? And what would that next, you know, new product look like? Um, and also it's been a, a long time. So we we all felt like we were, you know, we were itching to do like the new, um, uh, new product. So, and like I said, that was when we made the consideration. It was two that we shortlisted it down to um, a no-code type of movement that we believed in. Actually, I still believe in that. Or videos. But in terms of our like our ability and also um, resources, especially resources, I think I felt that the, the video um, one was an easier one for us to pull out. Um, so that was, yeah, that was kind of how we went along with it. But users, well, they didn't come to us and say, we need videos right now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that it didn't come from, it, it came from sort of an offsite, you know, brain dump or, or planning session. Is that, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Yeah, okay. Well, it sounds like it goes better with your overall branding anyway for, you know, Picto, Picto chart. You can use the Picto story so you can um, really kind of go more along the whole storytelling line and stay with a coherent branding message from the parent company, I guess is Picto chart. Is it the the same users that are using PictoChart that you're selling to? So can you do cross-selling? You, you mentioned a couple hundred thousand people coming in, uh, which is very impressive. Coming in to use PictoChart, are you able to drop in an email and say, hey, by the way, we've got PictoStory if you need that? Are you getting a lot of users coming over from the freemium of PictoChart into PictoStory? Yeah, so um, we've not actually actively promoted it. So to that specifically to the email question, no, we're not able to do that because of the whole GDPR and we're, you know, compliant um, and with all the privacy laws and everything. We're not able to just message them, so they have to have like a double opt-in, and that's um, that's been difficult to try to update. Um, but for the okay, so this is but but the people that do they do opt-in, obviously, yeah. um, you can yeah. yeah, okay, so you can yeah. do that, okay. And I mean, how is the conversion for for getting uh, opt-ins for the for the the uh, I, I'd love to know your conversion rates because so a hundred thousand people are coming. How much traffic are you starting with to 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 you know to get that kind of that kind of freemium users? Yeah, we're so let me see. We're about two to three. Uh, we have a lot of seasonal fluctuation um, in terms of like yeah, two to three million uh, traffic like per month. And the thing okay. that I kind is that of on the main, do you have like, what are your landing pages? Is, is it your homepage is your main landing page then? Is that where all, all sales are happening on the, on the homepage or do you have a specific landing pages? 
We do have lots of landing pages, but um, of course, the the main landing page is where most people, you know, come in okay. and yeah, find out about so us. So about two million. So about two million coming. Is that sorry? Is that monthly or? That's monthly. That's correct. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, so two million month, say two million monthly on the homepage, you're getting. You said a couple hundred thousand, so twenty twenty percent. Uh, sorry, ten yeah. percent uh, conversion rates. Yeah. That's okay. Right. So it's about again depending on landing pages, but in on average, I think it's between ten to fourteen, fifteen percent on okay. on different landing pages, and then you would get yeah again uh, hundreds of thousands. But I I wanted to caveat that by saying that we actually attract a lot of education users a lot. So about 60 or 70% of our users are in education. So that leaves, you know, a, a smaller amount. But that said, in terms of revenue, it's like the 80-20 principle is like flipped because that 20% of our rep of our users are actually generating about 80% of the revenue. So that's exactly what's happening right now at Pixel Chat. Okay. Yeah. Because the education, they're just coming in, it's a student or someone that's just trying to make something for a presentation. They use it. The watermark obviously sounds like it's not a big deal, So, but people see the watermark, but they can still use it. Is that is that what's happening with the education uh, yeah. users? Is that, is that what you, okay. Yeah, okay. Correct. Okay, great. And so with so you can't you can't bring your users over like how much there must be some amount of users that you can bring over because that's a lot of traffic. You know, there must be some links that you can put in uh, on the homepage, not that you want to bleed traffic, but how much users are you getting from PictoChart to into PictoStory? Yeah, right now we have not started to do that. We're about to actually, we're going to um, cross promote the, the products, the, the two products right now in November, actually. So that's, uh, there's a big campaign like uh, launched around that. And also because it's like the 10 year anniversary of the incorporation of the company. So we decided to do like a big, you know, promo, which we don't usually do. And that is, that's when I think we're really going to see what's going to happen to the numbers and how much of a, you know, how much of an overlap we have. Because through the the emails that we're, we're sending out, we're not seeing that much of a conversion, uh, even in terms of free signups on PictoStory. There are certain overlaps. The thing is, for PictoChart, we attract a very much wider spectrum of users. On PictoStory, it's really niche. The people who, they're content creators or webinar, you know, like producers or social media managers, like you've mentioned. So it's a, it's a small sub-segment of like the entire one of PictoChart. PictoChart has a lot of uh, HR, project managers, consultants, um, but of larger companies. Uh, and also we still have marketing people, of course, but uh, again, marketing is just like one you know, out of like seven main uh, departments that usually use uh, PictoChart. So that's, there definitely are overlaps, but exactly what the amount is, I'm going to have to quantify it in November when we do the sale. Yeah, no worries. I'd be into, I'd be curious to find, to, to find that out. Um, yeah. So tell me about some of the lessons that you've learned starting PictoChart that you've been able to bring over to starting PictoStory, because, you know, I think you're a pretty seasoned entrepreneur at this point, a SaaS entrepreneur. What are some of the key lessons that you um, that you brought over from your seven, eight years of running PictoChart to starting PictoStory? And how has the startup experience been between the two, the mm -hmm. two products? Yeah, sure. So for, I think... The, the couple of lessons that I always, always believe in, I believe in a bias for action, actually. I really, really believe that 
you can have the best plans in the world, but until it hits the market, you never know what would happen. Victor's story has already gone through a couple of like iterations at Pivots because we started out thinking about this as a no-code you know, type of uh, immersive website experience, and then we moved on to video. So that's one huge pivot that we've done already. And within the video editor, we started off again thinking that our main like niche and purpose was going to be repurposing. And then, you know, but very rapidly we kept like moving. So I, I really believe in um, bias for action. So I tried to keep that. And I try to keep the teams relatively small, nimble. Picto Story actually does not have a product manager, which is not common. Uh, Picto Chart does have product managers. It's just that Picto Story didn't because I felt that in the earlier days, it's better for me actually as a founder. I'm personally invested. I'm there uh, to work it out together with them. And uh, I felt like things move a lot faster. So I think speed is definitely of the essence, uh, the first one. The second one, I think it's like clarity. And I, I get clarity by, of course, playing with all the other tools um, out there, understanding where we stand, but also by speaking with users. And that's something I've never uh, taken away from my schedule. In fact, if people sign up right now on Story, especially, they will receive um, a pop-up that basically, you know, it says it comes from me with a direct link to my calendar to book time to speak. And I, I do this type of things because I felt like there is no better way for us to ensure that we're on track or, you know, to listen. And I don't think we would have been able to intuit um, the whole all-in-one and our, you know, our differentiator and all that if like we weren't listening and talking enough with the users. So I really think it's, you know, down to this two things. So clarity for me um, really comes to speaking with users and not like, you know, spending a couple of days uh, drawing up plans and uh, reading up stuff. So is that is that sort of brought over from Lean Startup or were you bringing over these ideologies? Yeah, so I have read a couple of books on Lean and my, my husband has done a couple of like Agile. He's also like recently he's very much into all the, what's it called? Uh, the framework by Basecamp, what's it called? Shape Up, Shape Up. Yeah, so he's... he's Shape Up, okay. Yeah. Or, which is which yeah. is which is talking to users and uh, pivoting quickly. Yeah. Um, class, it's classic lean startup, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, shape up. Okay, I have to check into that. That sounds interesting. So let let's go quickly into that because you mentioned um, you keeping your dev team small. Is your husband involved in that? Is the stack still Ruby? No. So um, Picto Story chose a completely different stack, and I I'm still questioning the decision until today. <laughs> Okay. Because, Until uh, today, just okay. I mean, I mean, to in the extent that it's very difficult to share knowledge between the two, you know, product teams, um, because they would, they would. Ah, I see. That makes sense. You yeah. can't share resources, right? You can't bring your best de developers over from PictoChart. I see. Yeah, they're. Well, why did you make that decision? What was it? Was it your husband's or? It or was, yeah, it was my husband and the team. So they, um, they kind of explained it to me in this way. So on PictoChart, we're actually in Vue and Ruby and Rails, and on PictoStory, we're on. Sorry, I cannot. I cannot remember. I think they told me it was just Vanilla JS. I'm like, really? Like, are you sure you're not using a framework? But there was a name that they gave me. Svelte, I think. Svelte. And yeah, Svelte. I know it. Yeah, yeah, it's a really new one. That's yeah. right. One of the things problems. With I know. Yeah, I think they're in Svelte and Node.js. So they wanted to keep the, the backend front end as well. Uh, and, and they told me that there were a lot of advantages doing that and, and all that. So I was just like, okay, look, it's a technical decision. I can't question that that much. But I didn't go like, at some point, will we move to Ruby? Because the, the whole company is actually Ruby. We're, we're the only ones that are, you know, kind of in Node right now. But anyway, the point is, yeah, they, they made their own decisions. <laughs> That's right. We're still not profitable on um, Picto 
story. Pictochart, actually, we got to profitability from launch. So not from beginning inception, but from launch to profitability in six months, which was really fast. But I kept it really small. Yeah, it was, in fact, I, I wouldn't call it linear because it was it was hockey stick. The first four years was completely hockey stick. Um, like organic and explosive was all organic. Actually, for, yeah, for SEO, it wasn't that we began to rank immediately. Uh, Google doesn't work that way, uh, not even 10 years ago. So it took us a while, but in the earlier days, we were sustained through, uh, in the beginning that year, I think we put ourselves up on, on AppSumo. So that helped us get a really big break of just lots of word of mouth and a lot of feedback from users, paying customers actually. And then um, lots of you know partnerships and then PR and, and just going out there and making sure that people found out about us and begging bloggers to review our product. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah. that, those were the early days uh, for, for PictoChart. Okay. okay. And so the de dev team for PictoStore, how big is the, the, the dev team? We're two front-end developers right now, one back-end, and we're looking for a DevOps person as well. Okay. And so um, you're purposely, you, you mentioned before the show, you're just sort of, uh, you're not profitable yet, but you're just sort of ramping up. You started... Uh, when did you launch Picto Story? We launched it in April of this year. Yeah, so it's just been okay. a few months. Yeah, just okay for for a few months. And and how's how is the growth going? How how is the uh, how's the product being seen as? Because you mentioned when you first came out, it was no code. When did you make the pivot to the timeline? Yeah, no code. So video editing. Yeah, we made the decision to switch to the whole video one around, if I'm not mistaken, that was around October of 2019. Um, so like, okay. we, yeah, we thought about the no code and then, you know, played with some prototypes. But... Okay, so it was, that was a while ago. Okay. Yeah. And so, but when you opened it to, it was in beta, uh, mm -hmm. do you can still consider beta or is it, it is no, now it's, no. It's a full fledged okay. I mean, it works, uh, okay. very minimal bugs, which is good, but still that we have bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of course. And uh, so, and and marketing. Um, what are you using for marketing now? What's the price point? Yeah, so it's all also almost the same. The monthly price starts off at nine dollars. Recurring, we have a freemium um, to try out. So that part's ex uh, extremely similar. We have a nine dollar, twenty nine dollar, and forty nine dollars. It's all based on the number of minutes because, unlike PictoChart, which does not have such high, you know, expenses on the technical side, our server and database cost is very minimal. On PictoStore, it's really hefty because- Hosting, okay. Hosting of videos as well as the transcription engine is very expensive. So that, that's why we needed to have like, you know, various uh, pricing point. For marketing though, like I, I mentioned PictoShot's site, but actually on PictoStory, I learned all of the lessons that I decided because the, the market landscape is very different right now and we need to, really be smart, I think, uh, about our investment. So I've kind of discussed this. I don't think we are going for SEO for this market, but instead we're probably going to double down on social media a lot more because we see that okay. content creators, they really hang out there and they're they're more present um, in, in social media. Rather, I'm not saying Google doesn't matter to them, but we probably need to be doing a lot more on you know YouTube and the rest of the social media channels. So I think we're, we're going to primarily be concentrating yeah, there. Okay. Um, you mentioned in before before we started the show. You mentioned the uh, Wave um, founder. I believe his name is Nick Fogel. 
Um, he mentioned from the show having the, the watermark as well so people could see. So it was kind of like a bounce back was happening. He would send it out. People would see that and then go from from the, the, the short um, clip to the site to buy the the um by the product have you have you tried that sort of have you tried that marketing tactic or are you seeing those effects yeah right now we have um we definitely have a watermark and we however it's a watermark within the video itself so when the person chooses to share a link yes they will share it to you know go to like story.pixelchat.com to view that particular video so, so you're getting like free exposure from that from all these social media geniuses uh, that are out there and they they're influencers so you're getting all these people coming back and say oh this is cool uh what is this product is that where you're finding a lot of a lot of your original intake sorry a, a lot of our original intake from the social media itself yeah from that from people seeing that like so i'm an influencer like a gary v and he's using your product and he posts it out and everyone says oh what's this cool this tool that this influencer is using and then they come back and, yeah. and buy your product is that what you're seeing sort of your your traction right now no right now it's some amount of like word of mouth we because nobody knows about us we need to reach out you know to the influencers at the moment uh just to yeah uh -huh. like, talk about the product and everything but I suspect that what you're saying is going to be happening very soon. Like, because we mm. were in the midst of working with a couple of them. Um, and once those things go out, then uh, we'll, yeah, we'll probably be seeing more people like, oh, I saw that review or I saw that influencer using this, then, you know, but hasn't happened yet. <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, we're getting close to the end, end of our, our agreed upon time. Um, I just want to quickly mention the four, four day work week, because I think that's great for, especially for a, um, someone that suffered from working so hard early on in your career. Can you just give me sort of the uh, some of the benefits and, and the decisions behind uh, going to a four-day work week? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it was actually um, fueled by the pandemic, to be honest. So we started working all remotely. We kind of let go of our lease at the office and we said like everybody is working from home. Plus we're a very distributed team. So we have like Europeans, uh, Asians and, you know, Americans as well. What kind of happened was, I think this was in early Q3 last year. So around uh, earlier, but, uh, you know, around the same time last year, uh, we were in meetings and we started seeing people. And when we speak, when, you know, when we spoke and had conversations, we felt like we need to repeat ourselves and they need to repeat themselves. And, and then we we're like, what's going on? Like, why is everyone so tired? You know, and we started thinking about that. And we realized that for a lot of the people, because we, when you hire good people, it's just, it's normal, right? Like they want to complete the project. So they put in even more hours, like they're overworking constantly. But I felt that that was kind of killing us to some extent because that, you know, like that the quality of thinking goes down, like it diminishes. So then uh, we were doing a couple of research around like, what could we be doing? Could we, you know, stop people from logging on to Slack posts after 6 p.m.? Unlikely to happen because everybody has access to a browser and they can do whatever they want. Right. Well, that and you have crazy time zones going on. Yeah. You have Americans trying to communicate with, you know, Singapore times and yeah. yeah. So like that, so that wasn't an option. We thought about unlimited like vacation, you know, policies, but then we looked up like the companies that did them, what they learned, and it seemed like it wasn't all positive. Then finally, we also looked at, you know, the four-day work week or maybe even potentially reducing eight-hour work days to like six hours um, by force, like kind of mandating that. Thought about it and then kind of read up a lot of studies. Uh, the, the one that particularly, I think the story inspired me the most was probably Wildbit. Wildbit started this in 2017 or 18. So they're also software development um, 
company building tools primarily only for developers and they uh, they adopted it like back when it was even popular to to do this and they kind of said that for them and I agreed with the premise but we had to put it to test was that a person especially a developer and we have half of the company are developers or someone working in product and we kind of said that they will only be able to do that amount of deep work per day even if you try okay. to give them you know more hours there they're not going to be able to do that and that time to disconnect is healthy for the mind it's healthy for the body it's healthy for their personal interests and it's probably great for employee retention so we thought about that gave that a try the first quarter so q4 of last year was our first quarter going mm-hmm. uh probably you know work week just giving that out the feedback was positive i'm not gonna lie there were a couple of hurdles not everybody enjoyed it in the beginning like people were struggling to fit in 10 100 of their work into 80 percent of the time you know, over the quarters now, everyone's like, there's no way I can work in a non-four-day work week organization because really? you get so used and, to it. Yeah. Yeah. And no loss in productivity. Was there a gain in productivity? There was actually a gain. I'll, I'll tell you why I think there's a gain. Because like I, I just mentioned, you have to fit in 100% mm. of your work now in 80% of the time. How do you do that? By becoming more productive. So are you saying that, so it's like 32, it's 32 hours that you're working instead of 40? That's right. Is it, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. And so it's Wellbit. Is that who you said that you that you first learned that from? Wellbit. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Uh, w- listen, we I'm I'm running uh, up to my hour, so I want to make sure you you get off to your next meetings. But thank you so much for your time. How can people reach out to you if they want to find out? Obviously, we'll have Picto Chart and Picto Story in the show notes. But if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can they do that? Yeah, I am on Twitter. On Twitter, I'm acgoh, G-O-H. Just okay. find us. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm there as well. So I'm acgoh. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Thanks so much, Ching, for your time. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software big break could be right around the corner.